We've all had big moments in our life that changed everything, haven't you? Just big moments, events, decisions. One of the first ones that I can really point to in my own life was the day that my parents dropped me off at college. I'd grown up at home, they took care of everything, and then it's just like, bye. And so I remember loading all of our stuff into my room, and I was super excited about it, but then as, as my parents pulled away, I, I remember going back into my room, and it was like a freshman weekend, and I didn't know anybody yet, and it wasn't even like, school wasn't even open yet, and it was so quiet and so empty, and I went into my room, and I'm not too proud to admit, I sat on my bed and just cried. Yeah, I was like, what? The, my whole life just completely changed. And I, I had to learn a new city. I had to make new friends. I had to make decisions on my own. My parents were hours away. It was a life-altering moment for me. I got over the moment. College was great, okay? I got acclimated there, made a lot of friends. It was a lot of fun. And, and then another big life change happened. My wife and I, uh, we, we were very young when we got married. We were still in college when we got married. And so we got married. And so I got to move out of the dorms and into an apartment with my wife. And I sat on my bed and I cried. No, it was exciting. It was so exciting. And, 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 but this was a big life change because I remember those first few months in marriage being like, this is real life adult stuff. Like we're gonna actually have to pay these bills or they're gonna kick us out of the house. Like this is a big deal. Huge life change, it changed everything. And we got settled in. We ended up moving into, up to Virginia. We both got jobs up there. We were having a good time. Life was going great. And then life changed. We became parents. And everything that we thought was true about life was suddenly didn't matter anymore. And we couldn't sleep. And it's just, you know, we have another person that we keep alive now. That's like one of our main jobs now is keep this, this, this boy alive. And uh, we had a couple kids and life changed. And, you know, like life, life, uh, life does that, right? In fact, if life isn't changing, some of us are scared of change. If you're scared of change, let me just give you a little encouragement. Change is one, is part of the definition of being alive, okay? So if things are not changing for you, it might not be going too well. Like we need change because that's what life is. It's changing, it's growing. Last week we started a teaching series called Kingdom Come in Wilmington as it is in heaven. And the big idea to understand is Jesus once said in this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In fact, we sang a song this morning with almost the same words as the lyrics. And the question is, what does it mean for God's kingdom to come? Last week, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. It was Easter Sunday. That was the big news. And like I said earlier, he's still alive today. It changes everything. But we said that Jesus was going to be a different type of king and a different type of kingdom. For his kingdom to come, what does that mean? And so we said specifically, it begins with the king. And as a king, Jesus was a different type of king. He was a king of, uh, of spiritual authority and a king of heavenly character. And because of who he is, that's why his kingdom would be different. This week, as we move forward, I, I want to zoom into your life a little bit and my life a little bit. And ask the question, like, so what? Why does that matter? And I've already alluded to it a couple of times, but I'm going to give it, go ahead and give it to you. I can preach my whole sermon to you, actually, in about one sentence that maybe if you just want to fall asleep, that's fine. Write it down. Think about it later. Because literally, this is the whole message. The kingdom of God changes everything. That's it. You can go home now. Like, if, you don't, if you've had enough, that's it. But let me explain it a little bit if you'll give me some time. Because the idea that the kingdom of God changes everything, honestly, when I look at it, seems a little bit too simple. It's like, okay, that's the whole thing? That's the message? Really? Okay, I wanted, I wanted more than that. Literally, when I wrote it down, I typed it on my computer. I was like, 
Isn't there a better way to say that? Something more compelling? It changes everything. Because isn't that a phrase we throw around a lot? Oh, this smoothie changed my life. It's like, did it really? Yeah, it changed my life. Everything changes our life this day. We're so, we're so into hyperbole. But there is nothing truer than the fact that the kingdom of God changes everything. I honestly can't think of a more life-changing reality than the kingdom of God. So here's why. Because the kingdom of God changes everything because sin ruined everything. The world needed fixing. That's what the whole Bible story is about. Like God created a perfect world and he placed us in this perfect world as his treasured creation. And then our disobedience and, and our decisions to trust in our own self, our own God, I mean our own, our own self as God, our own self as king, like we make our own decisions. And when we do this, we're rejecting the authority of God in our life and it breaks our relationship with him. It breaks the world that he made for us. So sin ruined everything. But God's plan was to change everything because of Jesus. And so like that's the message of Easter. That's what church is really about. That's like we talk about this pretty much every week. And this is why when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he hits the ground and he hits the ground running. And what he talks about in his, in his, uh, in his early messages is the kingdom of God. I mean, his very first sentences that we see him quoted in scripture as saying is like, we should repent, which means turn your heart back to God because the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he begins to go from place to place and, 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 and telling people, listen, the kingdom of God changes everything. People who are far from God can draw near to him now. We're, we're creating a new kingdom, a new place where the social norms that cause some people to be rejected and outcast and forgotten, we're creating a space where that doesn't happen anymore where people can be drawn back in and people can have community and people can feel loved and can find healing. These virtues like kindness, love, gentleness, joy, these are the hallmark of who our people are in this kingdom. It changes everything. And as people heard him teaching about this, they were astounded by the uniqueness of Jesus' teaching. It says it over and over again that people are like, what? What is this guy talking about? This is so different. Partially, yes, because he is proving his authority by doing things like miracles, raising people from the dead, healing blind people, like it's blowing people's mind. But also just when he spoke, there was like, I can imagine there was this crispness to his, 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 his oratory. It was just like, he just says something, everybody's just like, Pff. it blew my mind. And it began to change everything for the people that he spoke to. In fact, the amount of change that Jesus was bringing into the world was so great that as he described it, he tells stories like this. So we're going to get into the Bible now this morning. If you got a Bible, I'd love to ask you to open it up. We're going to be in the book of Matthew today, chapter 13. And if you need a Bible to use either in this service or one to keep forever, you can have one on the shelf back here. Feel free anytime. Always go get one. Take it back to your seat. You can write your name in the front cover if you want to keep it forever or just put it back before you leave if you don't, if you want to just use it for the day. Uh, look it up on your phone. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. And uh, we're about to, a couple things I can say about this passage. First of all, uh, Matthew chapter 13 comes in a book uh, that is one of the biographies of Jesus that we have in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call them the Gospels often, but it's also just kind of the life of Jesus. That's what these books are about. And in the book of Matthew, we get a lot of really good teaching uh, there about what the kingdom of God is like. We have more teaching from Jesus in the book of Matthew than in the other four books. And here in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, Jesus is going to give us two little stories the most common way Jesus taught about his kingdom was through these stories called parables, and they're just kind of these metaphoric stories. We're just kind of, let me give you something to chew on here. And side note here, totally side note, but 
as I was studying this week, I was once again impressed with, Jesus is a lot of things, okay, he's, he's God in the flesh, he becomes the Lord, he's the king of this, this new kingdom, he's also a masterful teacher. He's going to use, in English, what is four sentences, four sentences, and he's going to tell two whole stories in those four sentences, and each of those stories is going to be a super deep, heavy story, and so four sentences, this is just, it's amazing. As a teacher myself, it's like, and I know you guys would be like, yeah, if you could preach in four sentences, that'd be great. Um, Jesus nails it every time, and then he walks away, and people just have questions, and they just, it, it spurs discussion, so maybe this will do it for you. Here it is, Matthew 13, 44. This is how Jesus describes how much the change of kingdom of God changes everything. He says in verse 44, well, the kingdom of heaven, it's like a treasure hidden in a field, and when a mountain found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he, had, all he had and bought that field. That's the first story. Guy finds something. Uh, also, notice here, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven. Other places it's called the kingdom of God. And Jesus uses these phrases like interchangeably. So we're just going to kind of talk about the same kingdom. Guy finds something. It's so amazing that he's willing to go sell everything else that he has so that he can not just buy the treasure, but buy the whole field so he can have the treasure that's on the field. Story number one. Story number two. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who's looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and he sold everything he had and he bought it. That's it, boom. Two stories, four sentences. And what we have is a picture of a treasure that's worth selling everything you have to buy. Uh, these are very similar stories, okay? You got someone find something. It blows their mind. They're going to do anything it takes to get it. And Jesus says this, like, this, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Like, if you knew about it, if you heard about it, if you saw it, you would do anything to be in it. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Right now, my family is watching uh, American Idol. Anybody watching American Idol along with us right now? Season 20. Come on, nobody? Okay, a couple people. Season 20, American Idol. We've only watched a couple seasons of American Idol, but we were flipping through weeks ago. It's like, oh, there it is. Let's try it again. American Idol, you're familiar with the concept. They go around. It's a reality show. They, you know, they, they, uh, people audition, and they try to get the best talent. They're down to like the top 14, I think, this week. And so, but here's the deal. These people have an opportunity to be world famous, to be Carrie Underwood, right? So they, she was an American Idol. So you've got these, this opportunity. And the number of contestants on that show right now who are in this final group who have changed everything for this opportunity is amazing. People that have quit their jobs. There's one guy who gave up a full ride scholarship to college. He's a music major in some college. He's a really talented guy. He gave it all up to be on the show because the school was like, we can't give you that much break at school. And if you leave, you'd lose your scholarship. And he's like, fine, I'll do it. So these people see an opportunity in front of them and they're willing to just go all in on this thing because that's what passion looks like. That's what it looks like when you're like, I want to do this. Now here's the, here's the rub with American Idol. How many American Idols will win this contest? One. Of the thousands of people that tried out and the dozens who probably quit their jobs just to go to the audition, only one comes out. But in the kingdom of God, this is an infinite amount of room. <laughs> There's room for everybody, but it's so life-altering that Jesus says you'd be willing to sell everything you have just to be part of it. I think Jesus tells this story because he knows that deep down each one of us are looking for a treasure. I mean, think about it. We're, we're all looking for that, that thing, that, that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow or the lottery ticket or the perfect relationship or the perfect job. Like we all are dreaming of that thing because Jesus knows something about us that we find out as we go along. He says this in Matthew chapter 6, if you want to look it up, it's just a few chapters earlier. 
He's talking about treasure in a slightly different way in this passage, but it totally applies to what we're saying here. Matthew 6, starting at verse 19, he says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. What he knows about the treasures of this earth is that they're temporary. They'll break, they'll rust, they'll get stolen, they'll get inherited by somebody else one day. They might make us happy temporarily, but they're temporary. But he says this instead, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he understands like we're in this process in life of trying to get there, aren't we? Jesus' proposal is, I've got what you've been looking for. And it's not going to let you down. And if you only understood how life-changing this was, you would be willing to do anything you can to be part of it. Uh, so what does this look like? The, the guys over at BibleProject.com, if, you, if you're uh, not familiar with BibleProject.com, they've got a great app. I highly recommend that you download it and just figure it out. It's like it, on any level that you are in your knowledge of the Bible, you could start with what they've got and learn a whole lot. They've got a great podcast uh, and, they, and they make these really good videos, these explainer videos that use kind of animation. And they've got a video called Heaven and Earth that I really recommend that you check out. It's about six minutes long. It's on YouTube for free. Check it out, um, bibleproject.com or YouTube. Look up Bible Project. I think it's called Heaven and Earth. But I'm gonna kind of give you a, a quick version of it here. Um, the big idea is when it comes to like, what is, it, what is it that's happening? Like, what is it that's so special about the kingdom of God? Why does it change everything? You imagine life as two realities that can be represented by two circles. So we've got this first circle here. This first circle represents what we're just going to call the realm of God. Let's call it heaven, okay? This is the realm of God. God's in charge. It's, it's good there, okay? There's another realm that exists in our reality. It's the realm of man. Let's call it earth, okay? Heaven and earth. That's why we're calling this heaven and earth. There's this whole idea of how do we get heaven on earth, heaven and earth. Now, that's how it is now, and there's a reason for that. But there was a time at the very beginning of time when there was only one circle. These two circles overlap, and you've got heaven and earth together, a beautiful circle. This is a place where God reigns. There's a place of no suffering, no pain. Uh, in the beginning of time, God creates humanity, and he says, I'm going to create a space for you in this zone. We, we read about it in the book of Genesis. It's called the Garden of Eden. It's the place where God and man walk together. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. But sin ruined everything. So sin creates this chasm between us and God. Because of our sin, we can't be in the presence of God and his holiness, and it's, it's a big deal. That's where God's reality kind of splits in half. Now, please understand, this is a very elementary understanding of what's going on, but I think it gives us the imagery that we need to understand this heaven and earth situation we've been trying to get into with this series. Now there's two circles. And so for a long time, God, he didn't want to be separated from us, so he, he created some spaces where the two circles could overlap. The main way he did this in the Old Testament, and he did this in a lot of different ways. I, even in the, the, another in the fire, another in the fire song that we sang earlier, there are these moments where God just kind of shows up, and that's where heaven and earth kind of begin to overlap. But the most common way he did it that we see in the Old Testament was through the temple system. Originally, it was through, uh, the temple was actually a tent called the tabernacle, and God allowed his presence to dwell in this place. And the way he did it, I love what Tim Mackey from the Bible Project calls it. He said that God created clean spaces in the world where his presence could be and where people could come and worship him. And so through the Ark of the Covenant, through the tabernacle, 
and through basically ritual and sacrificial things that they did through the temple system. This is where you get into animal sacrifice and, and, uh, and, and grain offerings and prayers and all these different things. It created these clean zones where God and man can coexist and you can worship. And eventually they build a brick and mortar building in Jerusalem called the temple and the same thing goes down here. And the two circles begin to overlap because of these clean spaces that exist. Now the temple system partially dealt with the sin problem. It's a pretty good system. You can read a lot about it in the books of Exodus and Leviticus. In fact, our next teaching series after this, we're going to get into the book of Hebrews, and the book of Hebrews is all in it. So just hang on if you've got a lot of questions about this. I mean, I get it. Some of that stuff is weird and ancient and like, what? But we're going to get into that. But, but these places where, where the two circles overlap are very, very important. But they were a temporary plan. See, God's permanent plan that he put into, into in Genesis chapter 3, you see the, the seed of it, and you see it play out all throughout the Old Testament. His plan is to come himself, to create an overlap space where the clean space is just because he's there. And we see it happen in many ways. We talked about it last week at Easter, but one of the coolest places to look at it is in the Gospel of John. And I'm only going to look at John chapter 1, verse 14. If you want to flip over there and read that whole chapter, though, it's a lot of context there that really helps it out. But John chapter 1, verse 14, is talking about Jesus. His nickname here is the Word, okay? So, and, and you find that out from the context. But it says, and the Word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now that English word dwelling is translated from the Greek word that is actually more literally translated tent. So let me read it with that word in place. The word became flesh and he tented among us. He set up a tent in our neighborhood. It calls back to the tabernacle. This original tent where God says, I'm going to create a clean space where you can come and worship me, where I'm going to have my presence dwell. He came and he moved into the neighborhood and he dwelt among us. And so now it's not just for the Jewish people who happen to be near Jerusalem and were doing the right temple stuff that could be in these clean spaces. It's actually anyone who is where Jesus is gets to experience this. And this is what it looked like. Jesus begins to travel around. And as he travels from place to place, he creates little pockets of heaven right here on earth, everywhere he goes. And so he begins to minister to these people, and he's healing people, and he's teaching them about the truth of God, and he's going from place to place to place. And what he leaves behind him is some of the heavenly principles we talked about last week, a spiritual authority, a heavenly character. And the people in these areas, are, you're seeing that their lives are changing. You read about it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's changing everything. And they're like, I didn't know that it would be possible to be in the presence of God like this, that I could be relieved of my sin guilt like this, that I could move forward with my life like this and begin to be a different type of person in a different type of kingdom. He was making heaven present on earth. And so these moments of overlap become more and more present. And it's not just in the temple anymore. When Jesus lives his life, he gives his life on the cross. We celebrated the resurrection last week, and as he raises from the dead, defeating death, which, by the way, is the result of sin, the big mess that separated the two circles in the first place, all of his followers, he calls them together. He says, here's what you get to do. I want you to go out into the world, and I want you to create little pockets of heaven everywhere that you go. That's what it looks like for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's why when the people found the treasure or the pearl, they were willing to sell everything they had to get it. 
because it brings me into connection with the creator. And it brings a healing to my soul that I can't get in any other way. It allows me to interact with the world in a way that absolutely changes everything. What does it look like for someone to live in the kingdom of heaven? I, I can give you just some, some things I've observed. That when I'm in Christ, it changes how I treat people. I mean, think about it. For a Christian, one of the biggest virtues of Christianity is humility, which says I need to put the values and the needs of other people, or the, the needs of other people above the needs of myself. You go first. Others first is the principle of humility. That's not the principles of this earth. That's not the principles of this world. It's dog eat dog out there. It's stab your friend in the back if it gets you ahead out there. But that's not what it's like in the kingdom of heaven. We're also called to be peacemakers. Man, we could use some peacemaking out here. If every time we were in any situation that there was conflict, if you in this room, just this sample group, could begin to be peacemakers more often, Wilmington would be a different place. It doesn't mean that you just bow down and get stepped on. No, it just means can we, before we get to hate and violence, can we make peace? Can we come to terms on peace? Another big thing that changes the way we treat people is that we forgive. Jesus teaches explicitly. Like we've got to forgive people even if they've hurt us. Because if you don't forgive, you're actually locking yourself in a time capsule at the moment when the offense happened. That's what non, non-forgiveness does. It, it shuts you down. And you're stuck there forever. And yes, people have done you wrong, and it's not right that they did that, but we have to be able to move on, and that's what happens in the kingdom of heaven. You know, in the kingdom of heaven, it changes everything about the way we treat people. Guess what? We have to love our enemies and actually pray for the people who are out to cause us harm. That is completely opposite of the way the world wants to hold a grudge, <laughs> drop bombs, like literally in war, and hurt people who have offended us. So that's just one area, just one area. In the kingdom of God, it changes everything about the way you treat people. What other areas? It also changes what I value. You know, in this world, there's some values. Hop on social media, you'll find out what they are. It's got a lot to do with fame and popularity and sexuality and power. Like those are some of the big ones, right? kingdom of heaven that stuff doesn't have the value that it has on earth jesus talked about it he said listen you need to store up for yourself treasures in heaven because these things are eternal not these temporary things and so we value things like generosity way more than greed we value building other people up rather than building ourselves up i could go on and on with that but we value things differently the kingdom of heaven these little pockets of heaven that are being created because jesus people are in the world it changes everything about the way that we value things. Here's another thing that it changes. And this gets hard. In the kingdom of heaven, it changes the way I view suffering and pain. I want to camp out on that moment. Because life can be hard. And there's a perspective that comes with knowing that if our God is for us, who can be against us? that we can bring into pain and suffering. It doesn't make pain less painful many times. But this passage, and there's a couple like it that, that give us a perspective. This is Romans 5, three through five, where it says about suffering. He says that we know suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. 
It is hope that makes pain and suffering bearable in this world. Not like, yay, I lost my job, sweet, I'm excited about that. No, but it's like, this world is temporary, and I value things differently, and I treat people differently, and so through this pain and suffering, if I can just grow in character, that's all that I need. I'm going to tell you, that, that's, like a, that's like a next level mature thing that you have to work towards, I'm, right? <laughs> Some of you are shaking your head. Uh, it's not easy. What's another thing about the kingdom of heaven? I'm taking it a step deeper. It changes everything about the way that I view death. I mean, isn't that the worst? Death. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, the apostle Paul's talking. He says, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring Jesus, bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Um, I have been to funerals of people who didn't know Jesus that were really depressing. Because there was no hope in that family and all we had was what they had with us here on this earth. And, you know, we say things at funerals that I don't know that are very theologically true. <laughs> like, he's in a better place now. And sometimes it's like, you know, sin separates us from God. And without Jesus, without these pockets of heaven in our life, we can't be reunited with God. And it seems hateful and harsh to say that. But that's not my rules. That's the rules of sin, and that's the rule of souls. <laughs> and that's the rules of the creator God. But I've also been to funerals where it was like a party. In some cultures, they call it a home going. And it's like music bumping and people are like, I'm all the time, I've talked to my family, I'm like, look, I want you guys to have a party. I want there to be good music. I'd love to pick out the playlist before I go. I, I loved uh, uh, Bob Zimmerman who passed away this past year, last year. And at, at his funeral, uh, he, he had this whole playlist of like classic rock songs. And it was just what he was into. And it was just like a little, almost basically a cookout out at, 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 uh, at Longleaf Park. And yeah, we were sad. It doesn't make it less sad. But it changes how we view death when you know about the kingdom of heaven. I've got a good friend who has survived cancer twice. This dude's boss, okay? Uh, and he was, he was on cloud nine because it was gone. It seemed to be gone. And uh, he had it pretty rough. He had been in the hospital for months and months and months and chemotherapy and all this stuff. And Then the pandemic happened. And so, yay, I don't have cancer, but the world got shut down. So, so as things began to open up just these past few months, uh, he got the worst news. His cancer's back. It seems to be more aggressive this time. And I got to talk to him on the phone and, you know, I have hope that God can heal and he certainly hopes that it will get better. But he said this, he said, you know, I'm just really excited that I know my God and I know where I'm going if it doesn't work out in this world much longer. And what I want to do is know that I want my, my daughters and my wife to know that I love them, that I love Jesus. And that was his whole attitude. And I'm sure there are moments where he's like, on his own, he's like, oh man, where do I find the strength for that? But man, this is his third time through, you know? But pain and suffering builds our perseverance, builds our character because of hope. So it's a pretty big deal, the kingdom of God. And that's how it changes everything. Like literally 
everything in your life, what you watch with your eyes, what you allow to come in your ears and out of your mouth, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, how you build your relationships, how you parent, how you spouse, how you employ or employee. Everything is changed because the kingdom of God is here. Jesus called the kingdom of heaven a treasure. And uh, in that parable that we read a little while ago, and, and I wonder though if we realize that right now we are surrounded by that treasure. Like in the first couple days, there was like, 12 disciples and maybe more because there was more following them around and like it was a smaller group but as these little pockets of heaven have been springing up all over the world for thousands of years now we're surrounded I don't know if you noticed there's a lot of churches in Wilmington <laughs> there's a few okay we're surrounded by people who know about the kingdom of heaven but here, I want to I call a couple of us out right now okay including myself I think that it's possible for some of us in this room that you are surrounded by tre- treasure but you totally take it for granted it doesn't really change everything for you that much it's just like my friends that come to visit me from far away and they realize like, you live like 12 minutes from the ocean? You probably go to the beach like every day, right? Right, you wake up and do a morning Bible study with your coffee at the ocean and you probably go watch sunset every day. I'm like, yeah, I, man, I don't even know the last time I went to the beach. Do you know some people live in Indiana? Like what? They would be so pumped to have the ocean. Sure, Indiana's a great state. But they don't have the ocean, and when they come here, they're like, what, what do you mean you don't go to the ocean? We're surrounded by treasure all the time, and we take it for granted. And I think this is true about the kingdom of God. For those of us who have known about Jesus for a while now, but how much is it changing you? How much is it changing your perspective? How much is it changing the way that you try to carry pockets of heaven with you everywhere that you go? How much has it changed the way that you deal with your pain and your suffering? Or are you just whining and complaining like those who have no hope? It should change us, guys. And we're surrounded by it, so let's remind ourselves, the kingdom of heaven is here, and it's all around us. There's another group of people, I think, that might be surrounded by treasure, and that might be you this morning, and you're like kind of holding on to what I'm talking about, but you're also like, I'm not really sure about the kingdom of God. Here's the thing, Uh, there are people, and you might be someone in this room who haven't like entered into the kingdom of heaven, but you kind of know about church, or you kind of know about God's people or something, you're surrounded by it, but you don't even know. That would be like someone who lives in Wilmington and who has never been to Smith Creek Park. (laughs) Beautiful place. It's right up the street. It's free. There's a lake. It feels like you walked into a state park and you didn't even know it was here. It's like a beautiful place, but you didn't even know. You just needed someone to show you, right? Someone takes you to that great restaurant. It's been here this whole time. You didn't even know, right? I want you to know this morning, guys, if you were here this morning and you have never entered into the kingdom of heaven, And what I mean by this is that you've accepted Jesus as your savior. You've decided to step into a relationship with him. You've been obedient to him in the waters of baptism. You've like all these things. Like you've said like, I'm in. I want to go in. I want to be in the kingdom of God. I want want you to know something. It's not American Idol. There's not just one spot. There's so much room. In fact, as these pockets of heaven float around, they grow. And I want to invite you this morning to come on in. Come be part of the kingdom of heaven with us. It changes everything. We talk about willing to sell everything to get a treasure. I mean, I know so many people who once they understand the power of the kingdom of heaven, they do that. I think about my friend Brian who's gonna be here next week uh, sharing some word with you because he's, he's just a great teacher. And I think about Brian who he and his wife, he was telling me the other day, um, he's about to move to California as a, uh, as a uh, chaplain for the Air Force. Um, but he spent some time in West Africa as a missionary. And so I was like, man, you've done a lot of crazy moves in your life. Is going to California, like it's, it's a pretty big move. Like it's across the whole country. He was like, 
I don't know if anything could compare to when we went to Africa. You know what he did? They sold pretty much everything that they owned, and they moved to Africa as missionaries. I'm telling that story because he won't. But there are people who literally sell everything for the kingdom. And that's not even what you're being called to do right this second. What we're being called to do is to carry pockets of heaven with us in the city of Wilmington, where you work, where you play, where you eat, your neighbors, so that everyone can know how it changes everything. Uh, I have a challenge for us this week before we wrap up, and I pretty much gave you pieces of it. This is our challenge. This week, intentionally look for ways to bring a pocket of heaven into the spaces where you work and play. And let's just leave that up there for a while so you guys can write it down and take a picture. I'm serious. This is why the church exists, so that we can take pockets of heaven everywhere that we go. And it changes everything. For years, I have been going on this camping trip up into, uh, on the, the, the peninsula of the east side of Virginia, uh, and it's this family campground, and, and I go with a bunch of buddies from college, and uh, between us, there's, there's five guys, and we all got married, and we had a bunch of kids. There's 12 kids between us, okay? So we got a lot of kids. It's a family campground, and there needs to be stuff for the kids to do while we're there for several days, and so we're up there, and, and we've been going for years and years, but there got to be a point a few years ago where it was getting pretty run down kind of messy, like, like stuff's broken, and looks like, does anybody even work here? Uh, you've been to Kmart, right? It's like that, and um, it was like, it was getting rough. Sorry, Kmart. Um, and it was getting rough out there, right? And, and, and so we almost got to the point where we quit going to this campground. We were like, I don't know if I, we want to go here anymore. Let's pick a better place, but last year we went, and it was amazing. It was amazing. Like, I had redone the mini golf. Uh, the pool was immaculate. There were, like, new fishing spots. They'd built new cabins. The bathrooms were actually clean. It had toilet paper in them. It was amazing. All kinds of changes. And I figured out what had led to all the change. When I walked up to the main office one morning, uh, there was a sign on the door. And the sign said, under new management. When you enter the kingdom of heaven, you put your life under new management. You stop trying to do it yourself. You stop trying to let society and culture boss you around or your children boss you around or your boss boss you around. Sure, we've got responsibilities, but we let King Jesus call the shots. And it changes everything in this world for you and it changes everything spiritually for you and it changes and it all happens for one reason, new management. That's what we're called to. So whether you've been surrounded by it for years and are taking it for granted or you're surrounded by it and you didn't even know, can we all take a step to, to put Jesus in charge and live in the kingdom and carry these pockets with us everywhere that we go? Let me pray for us this morning.